Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be talking about the wonderful series Resident Alien. We are joined today by executive producer and showrunner Chris Sheridan, as well as cast members Alan Tudyk, Sarah Tomko, Alice Wetterland, and Corey Reynolds. And Chris, I wanted to start by talking about a lot of the dynamic in how you created and have written this show, because what's so wonderful is you allow the show to lean into the heightened elements, you know, the comedy that comes with an alien coming to Earth and trying to learn how to be human and all that comes with that. But you don't rely on that to tell the story as well. You have it so grounded, both through the character of Harry and all the connectivity that he's starting to build with people around him that we've seen over the first couple of seasons, as well as the way that you've built all these characters into an ecosystem where even if you took the alien element out of it, the show would still work as its own entire ecosystem because they're so layered. And I was interested in, in how, you know, by grounding everything so much through all of the characters and through Harry, that also really allows you to lean into the heightened elements and to bring that to the foreground more when you want to narratively you know what i can't say it better than that that was yeah, pretty good that was, that was pretty good mara way to go good. Uh, that was the plan all along i mean there's there's a lot of emotional moments in the in the show and and i knew early on that none of those would play if the show wasn't grounded and you know at the center of the show you do have an alien that has come down and you know has all this uh, mayhem planned and a show like that i think certainly has a tendency that it possibly could get very big and very broad. And especially because we're doing comedy, it could get become like a cartoon. But as soon as you do that, then all the stakes fall away and all the emotional uh, connective moments fall away as well. And there's the show has a lot to say. And I think there's a lot of important things we're trying to say about human connection and um, diversity and acceptance and all that stuff. And then the only way for all that stuff to resonate is to make sure everything stays grounded. So, you know, the start of that is Certainly, you know, trying to write it as grounded as possible, but a huge part of that is, is casting uh, actors who can play not only the comedy, but play the grounded elements. And all of our actors can, especially the ones here. Um, oh, oh us. Okay. <laughs> I mean, don't sell yourself short there, Corey. Corey's hysterical, <laughs> but can play, you know, this season has played in incredibly grounded moments, um, um, as has everybody. So it was a huge part of the makeup of the show from the very beginning to make sure that the show could work even without that sort of grander element of the alien coming. Um, I always wanted the audience to fall in love with this town and with these characters in this town, because it really is Harry's journey about, you know, trying to figure out if he's going to kill everyone or not. And <laughs> we'll never buy that Harry has sort of fallen in love with these people enough or care about these people enough um, to not kill them unless we do as well. So the, the whole point around building up that town with real people is to really get the audience to lean into these characters. Um, it takes a lot of the pressure off of the alien storyline, but allows us to play some of the bigger moments with the alien. Um, because, you know, even though we're trying to stay grounded, even a, a grounded alien can still do some pretty crazy things. So we, we get a lot, of, uh, got a lot of leeway in Alan's performance um, where he can do some ridiculous things and it'll still feel real too the world and real to uh, the alien and the audience uh, for the audience. So that was the plan going in. I love that. And, and, you know, speaking of your performance, Alan, I wanted to talk a little bit about the voice of Harry as a character, because there's so much in terms of the delivery that you bring forth in that, what he's learned from observing people around him in the way that he speaks, what he's picked up from television and popular culture. And so there's all sorts of different inflections. And I've heard you describe that you really kind of looked back to a lot of your training as an actor and those exercises where you're essentially pretending that you've forgotten everything. You're learning how to speak again. You're learning how to move how to talk, how to sit on a chair. 
And I was interested in how that really influenced a lot of the development of how you found the very specific intonation, but also how it's really evolved over a couple of seasons, because it's always a case of bringing in the new information that's that's true to Harry and his world. Yes. Uh, yeah. That, it has evolved. There's a there's a there's like a that's there's it's kind of fallen into a there's like a sweet spot that it gets into that it's sort of. Uh, He's learned it. It's not as stilted as it used to be. He, um, you know, he he did have to learn how to say everything. It was the phys- the physiology of the face that that made it that much more difficult. That as opposed to learning a, a foreign language uh, like we would learn, uh, you're just learning new words for things and feelings and emotions. And uh, he was having to learn how to make a mouth move because his mouth is shaped differently and. Uh, and his nose is shaped differently. So he had to learn all of that. So it was all very mechanical about putting your tongue in the right place to make the sounds in the beginning. And he's definitely gotten better uh, at it. Uh, but he, he certainly is odd. <laughs> he does sound, he does, he sounds his own way. Um, but it, it's just kind of come about. I don't know. It's sort of fallen into a, um, into Harry's way of speaking. And, you know, certain words come along that just sort of them, themselves, the way that they're structured, that he has to slow down to say. So that also adds, you know, that, that changes the pace and the way he speaks. Uh, and it's the same with walking and moving, like a lot of his physicality is um, uh, still, you know, somewhat mechanical because it's the same way. It's the physiology of a new, a new being is moving around. So much of that is what, honestly what Alan is uh, adding to the character too. There's a, a little bit of a spoiler, but not really. In the second half of uh, season two, um, in a scene with our, our, our very own Alice Wetterland, um, Harry says the word klutz and Alan somehow turned it into a three or four syllable word. Uh, I'm not sure how, but uh, what? Really? it was very, very funny. <laughs> yeah, see that's, there's a good I don't oh, remember like that, that either. All the time. <laughs> I feel like I should remember it. But... <laughs> a it's a very, very small moment, but I get a This is a resident alien panel. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm ahead of these people because I've I've seen all these episodes a hundred times in, in editing and they have not seen them yet cut together. So I have a little bit of an advantage. You, you yeah, know what else I think is unique so about excited. you know um, some of the choices that Alan made is um, you know when you're human before you learn to speak you learn to pick up on body language you learn to read facial expressions you learn to understand non-verbally so you know embracing a character the way that he did that had to learn the structure of actual language, but at the same time was completely kind of oblivious to the, uh, uh, to the cues that come with um, facial expressions from others, you know, watching, you know, if you go back to season one, there's so many moments where people are engaging with him in a way that he doesn't understand sarcasm for, for one thing, you know what I mean? Completely (laughs) flew over him because everything was literal. And I think he did a really great job of, of like 
learning all the little parts of being human every step of the way. It was kind of backwards for him as a baby. Right. Everything's nonverbal first. But in his mm -hmm. instance, you know, he had to learn to talk. And then the first big challenge was going into town that night and seeing if he could fit in with right. the town people. Has he learned to smile properly? Has he learned to wink and do all those little <laughs> idiosyncrasies that, that humans have? That that's I always thought that was really fun to watch uh, him explore and play. It's like, like, Corey, like, it's like a hierarchy of cues that you learn as a baby, you start to learn the big. And then as you get older, you learn to lie. And then as you <laughs> get older, you learn about sarcasm. But Alan's Harry learns slapdash, like he learns half of it at once with no priority. There's no hierarchy yeah, to yeah. it. So it's like he's a baby. He's an adult baby who is sometimes very good at lying and sarcasm. So as what like, if, you know, if you're Sarah or I or one of the people that has to interact with Harry, you kind of are like, what's wrong with this guy? But then the next moment you turn to him and he's like, just being casual because he's learned that. <laughs> right. So it's like the frog from, at, you know, the, the cartoon frog. It's like, hello, my baby. Hello, my daughter. And you're like, and like, it was pretty frog. incredible to watch Alan uh, in season one, especially because he, if I may say so, Alan, you were, you were still sort of figuring it out as you went in the first couple of episodes. And and it was like you had this idea when you came to set, but then it was really amazing to watch you discover a feeling or a sentiment or a word in the moment. And it was very organic. And it's so fun to work with an actor like that because it just keeps everything so fresh. And but there were also times where Alan would be like, how much have I learned by now by this scene? <laughs> I right. That was really amazing to watch yeah. you like navigate how to like figure out where am I at in my learning process as an alien right. in this moment. Um, whereas like the rest of us are just like, where do you yeah. want to stand? Like, <laughs> yeah. Right line. We don't have as much to keep track of. I'm like, how <laughs> drunk am I? Am so, I real drunk? Well how drunk? Okay, just hung over. That's a great, Got it. Right. There was a great moment in the pilot. It's, it is almost like as Alan was trying to figure out how to play Harry, Harry was, Harry was trying to figure out how to be a human. There's a great moment at the bar <laughs> in the pilot with uh, with Alan and Sarah, where uh, Sarah as Asta smiles and and Alan as Harry looks at her and then forces a smile because that's what we do in this moment. Like, and that wasn't in the script. That was just sort of Alan sort of inhabiting this character, trying to figure out how to be human. It was, you know, there's a lot of great great moments like that. Yeah, there really are. And and also coming over to you, Sarah, and talking about Asta a little bit, you know. What's what's really lovely to watch in her continued journey is she's so much someone who puts other people ahead of herself a lot of the time. And she takes a lot of that past trauma and her vulnerabilities and really channels it into other people's emotional well-being. But now that we've kind of had more episodes to, to play around with her, there's more of an opportunity to see her trying to prioritize herself and kind of reclaiming elements of that. And what's so beautiful in your performance is that that's such an internal aspect of character. And so I was interested in how you've really approached a lot of that journey for her as a character, especially in season two. Yeah, thank you. That um, I have to say, when I first read the pilot, I was sort of floored by Chris's writing and the ability to combine such a comical world with such an internally intense, dramatic, um, you know, storm that's happening inside of Asta. And um, 
it was really wonderful to be able to be surrounded by these incredible comedic actors while I was trying to navigate how to just be sort of um, the eyes of the audience and, uh, you know, really tell the story from the perspective of a human who is not uh, experiencing the things that my other, you know, friends in town are experiencing. And so I think season one is all about, um, while, while Harry is navigating being human, I'm navigating how to, um, you know, figure out how to, um, find myself again, like you said, so eloquently so that by season two, it's something that I'm getting a little bit better at. And now so is Harry. And so we have this magical, like, um, sort of synergy in our journey where I'm already human, but I'm still trying to figure out how to be human. And he's not, but he's also trying to figure it out. And so it's really beautiful in season two um, where I get to explore a little bit more of um, not having so much drama, but getting to be a little bit lighter and make a joke or two and do some dancing. And that's where Alice comes in as Darcy, like always being an amazing sidekick and helping me see the light. And so it's something that I then am able to give to other people because of her. And, and it's really beautiful. Um, the relationship that Harry and Asta start having is almost like a mother uh, to a little duckling or something like teaching him how to have emotions while she's trying to figure out how to keep her shit together. And um, at the same time, she's dealing with her own mothering of her daughter. So it's just, it's been an amazing journey and so layered. And I really appreciate that we're exploring all kinds of, you know, aspects of the human condition in a sci-fi comedy. And I think what you said was so, so well said at the beginning, which was, if you take the alien element out of it, this story can be told in so many different ways. And um, it's probably one of my favorite compliments from, from fans or especially family who are like, if you weren't in it, I'd still watch it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I get that a lot too. People you know? are like, so people are really emphatic about that with me, yeah. especially they're like, if you weren't in it, I'd watch it. In fact, if they took you out, I'd watch it more. <laughs> right. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I think it's like, it's like the, have you ever had a donut and then you've had a croissant and they're like, if you took the donut and the croissant and you put them together, that would be really popular and maybe called a cronut. And that's what our show is. Yes. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> you know, it, I mean, Alice talking about Darcy a little bit as well, you know, there's such great duality in terms of the emotional complexity of her as a character because she's so charismatic. She's always there kind of, you know, to, to Sarah's point about what she brings to Asta, she's always there kind of elevating and lifting everybody up around her with like comedy and charisma and energy that she brings to the foreground. And at the same time, you know- Except you- for Ben. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, yeah, shit's on Ben. Really capture- <laughs> you know, again, that undercurrent of like, what are her vulnerabilities as a character? What are her insecurities? You know, we got to see a lot of elements of that play out where she's really fearful that she's repeating cycles from her past and trying to do things differently. Um, And so for you, do you find that when you get the scripts from Chris and the team, that there's always a lot of subtext in that regard that you get the opportunity to play to? Yeah, well, like I was saying, Alan has so much more to keep track of than the rest of us. So I don't envy him because you know, for me, it's like, how drunk am I now? And (laughs) how hungover am I now? And, you know, I I think 
uh, to his credit, Chris, when, when writing this show, kept it pretty real to um, the, like, I as an actor brought a certain amount of experience to this story. And certainly my life experience has played into writing Darcy. And I've given the perspective of somebody who's been through, say, your, you know, your highs and lows of drug use, your, you know, um, your bouts of like incredible, like uh, ambition mixed with a lot of immaturity, you know, like that I've lived all those things. And so um, I've been able to, to bring that life experience to the character and, and go, well, Lena, let me think about me 10 years ago, how I would have dealt with this situation because I, I have a lot in common with Darcy or at least I used to. Um, and I think the person that Darcy is, you know, a really, really, really good grounded character is always like almost a, a real person with a few things removed, do you know what I mean? And so it's just a little bit of a simplification of a real person. So sort of it's like, where is Darcy at this point in this town with these folks, you know, she's seeing her best friend start to become really, really close friends with this absolute weirdo that she doesn't totally get. She tried to sleep with, didn't really work out. And she's starting to, to kind of see all that around her forming and, and it's sort of a mirror. Like, ooh, okay. Nobody really, like it, what I'm doing isn't working anymore. You know, like I'm not, my best friend doesn't really rely on me as much anymore. Um, I met this cute guy. I can't really do the same thing with him that I always do, which is like toss him away. Um, just her, her methods aren't working anymore. And so she's got to start to, she kind of looks around and goes like, I want to grow up. Like all these people are doing stuff, you know, Ben's moving forward in his marriage, you know? And I think that as, like if I were to say what Darcy's like, it's like she sees her friends having these adult lives and she didn't ever really believed it. She's like, yeah, but we're all still weirdos who are drunks, right? <laughs> and they're like, no, <laughs> you know? And so she's kind of like, okay, I guess I have to figure out how to get my shit together. So that's, it's just kind of in a panic state underneath it all right now. And um, yeah, I think you'll see that come to a head as well. Can't wait. And, you know, Corey, I was interested in talking about, you know, your early conceptions of your character, because, you know, I read something where you kind of described that your initial conceptualization was this amalgamation of like John Wayne, Richard Pryor and Bernie Mac. And you can really see, you know, they're so different and you can see the aspects <laughs> what you've brought in and you know when you were auditioning and sitting outside hearing other actors going in to read you know you've also talked a little bit previously about how you heard everybody else making very different choices to what you were envisioning for this character but that you really stuck by that gut instinct and and given that it is a character that has given you so many different arenas to play in from previous characters has that kind of gut instinct been a lot of how you've Found the, found the new aspects of what you're trying to dig for in terms of him as a character, in terms of those new textures. And would you say that that amalgamation of those three is still quite true for you? Or do you feel like it's it's veered into a wider context for you now? It's a great question. Um, um, you know, I think it, 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 to, to come to how I saw uh, Mike, you know, initially, um, you know, I think, I think, I didn't I didn't see the depth to him that we have created at this point. Um, you know, I saw a guy that 
honestly, he was like a toy for me. And I just kept playing with the character. I remember when we were shooting the pilot and I was doing a lot of like improving and dropping a lot of like F-bombs. And I kept waiting for someone to come over to me and be like, you know, hey, Corey, listen, we love your energy, um, but we can't use any of that shit you're saying. Like you have to say what's on the page. I you know, do uh, that every episode. Well, yeah, it still kind of carries over a little bit. Um, but 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 you know, I I, I I try to really make a conscious effort not to self-indulge to make sure that everything that does come out is is from is from Mike. Um, you know, this season gave us an opportunity to kind of um crack open his background a little bit and um you know, every character on this show is is broken in some capacity and uh, like like all humans. And we're all on this journey towards healing if we're conscious enough to understand and realize what it is within ourselves that needs healing. And uh, what what Harry does, I think, in many instances and for for the characters as, as things web out from him, uh, for me, it's a little more deputy live, I think, than 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 Harry. But um, it it kind of helps um, people find the places that they need their healing. You know, um, Mike was carrying a lot of guilt, still carrying a lot of guilt, and that guilt has influenced every moment in his life since that moment, from the moment he wakes up until the moment he goes to bed. It's all about. Uh, asserting dominance and being in charge because he never wants to feel that pain again. So whatever has to be done to him is justified by avoiding that pain. And I think Chris, again, you know, credit to our, our genius captain here because he creates this, you know, environment like, like Sarah and, and, and Alan and Alice were saying, you know, where these funny things happen, but there is, I'll give you an example. Uh, earlier this season, you know, there was the episode where Max and, and uh, Kate are, are leaving uh, and going away for the weekend. And and Ben, you know, <laughs> Levi standing right there in the doorway and he just lets out this just like ridiculously long fart. And it wasn't in the script. And I remember watching it that night and I fucking laughed until I <laughs> cried, man. I texted Chris. I was like, what the what's that? You know what I mean? He was like, oh, you know, fart jokes are cheap, but this one has a, a, a meaning. You know what I mean? Because it is. It's an easy laugh to get. But it connected with Ben's insecurities around Kate. It connected with him not feeling that he could be himself. It was this really kind of. Um, over-the-top funny moment that was connected to someone else's healing and pain. And the ability to storytell in that capacity, I think, is what truly separates us from, um, you know, other shows. Not to say better or worse, but there's a unique voice to this show um, that allows people to, as I said before, you can... Uh, um, you can cry from laughing or cry from feeling in this show. It can go either way. Uh, and, and, and that's in, in large part uh, due to the storytelling that comes from, from Chris and our writer's mind and the execution uh, and the icing that comes on the cake from, uh, from us and, and, and the ability, the freedom that we have to explore adding our dimension. 
Um, most of the time as actors, as it's similar to being an athlete, you run the play, the coach calls the play, you run it, you go in there, you do your thing, but we're in a unique situation where I think um, we've earned the trust of those um, who, you know, are our creative powers here. And even the, you know, the studio, the suits, the networks, I think, I think, I think for the most part, they understand we all grasp the idea that there's something really special here and there's uh, a lot to be gained from Harry's journey and us experiencing it with him. And within the comedic storytelling as well, you know, Chris, you come from such an extensive background of working in in comedy. And it's it's that thing where the show is so unique. It's not repeating jokes. It's not repeating setups. And the comedy is so driven by character as well. And so when you're writing scripts, how are you always thinking about, you know, making sure that whatever joke it is that you're trying to land is very new, but also the structural aspect of the way that you can bury it. You know, it doesn't have to be an overt joke. There can be a lot of subtext to the comedy because you're leading it through character yeah all the jokes in this have to be through character one of the one of the mistakes a lot of shows do that try to be real and grounded but also have comedy is they end up having characters who tell jokes um that's an old sort of sitcom rhythm which works in sitcoms and multicams because they're bigger or they're broader but in real life people don't tell jokes to get laughs they say funny things that come out of tension and conflict and all this stuff um there's some you know, there's some leeway depending on the character. Um, like with Darcy, she she can throw out a quip or two because that just feels like it's in character. We found ways um, with all the the actors based on their strengths to really mine the comedy that comes most organic out of their deliveries and out of who they are. So, you know, Mike as a character is is funny because I mean Corey plays it so incredibly well, but we've tapped into this the sort of ridiculous way that Mike sometimes looks at the world um, and he's just coming at everything from a different place. And there's something really funny about that, but still somehow still feels grounded because it's, because he first of all plays it so grounded um, and it works within the context of who this man is. Um, So it's always trying to find real places to get comedy out of, you know, for Sarah, so much of, so much of her comedy comes out of, like she said before, being the voice of the audience and just sometimes Sarah can get enormous laughs out of just the way she looks at Harry after Harry does something <laughs> ridiculous and the frustration she has with this man child. Cause we're, and we're like, how are you dealing with this? You know, with all the ridiculous stuff he's doing. Um, so everyone has sort of done a really great job sort of finding a way to, to get a lot of, you know, laughs on the screen, but staying within the lane of being totally grounded and real. And that's, incredibly important because as soon as you break out of that and start just saying things that people wouldn't really say and just doing things for the sake of, of, of jokes, the reality of the show falls away a little bit, which is why, you know, in the fart joke that, that Corey mentioned, um, I I've had a, a lot of opportunities to do fart jokes. Season one, I, I absolutely wanted in the first couple episodes to do one with Alan. I just figured it's, you know, like Harry farts and just like, doesn't know what it was, you know, <laughs> I couldn't find a way to do it where it, where it wasn't just a fart joke. Cause like, Oh, that's just a cheap fart joke. So I, I allowed, you know, myself this time to do the fart joke with Ben because it really was a story point. It was funny, but it was setting up a story point. Like Corey uh, explained so well how he just can't, you know, uh, connect with his wife. And, um, and then Alice played the scene in the next episode so well with him where she reacts to the fact that he can't fart around his wife. He's like, well, what's the point of being married? 
Um, right. So it all sort of layers together in, in real character stuff. And frankly, I think the real character stuff that's totally relatable is funnier anyway. So um, we try to just stay as grounded as possible. And I think it works pretty well. And, you know, if I could, can I just throw one thing in there real quick? You know, I think also voiceover plays a major role getting inside, being able to jump inside Harry's mind as opposed yeah. to that opposing of what's happening in, in, in the world and what's happening in his mind. But also, I think we have a lot of like quick, what I would consider like throwaway quibs that are extremely funny when when he's delivering the baby and at the end he says like and subscribe uh, because <laughs> he was true. watching a YouTube video. Like we didn't shine the spotlight on that line, but that was an incredibly that was an incredibly <laughs> funny. I didn't know you. I didn't know that was an ad lib, yeah. but that was an incredibly <laughs> funny line. <laughs> Because that's that what huge. would be at the end of the video he was watching. <laughs> like and, and subscribe. I thought so that was real. great, you know. Yeah. Well, so much absolutely. of that of, of, of Alan's comedy comes out of the fact that this alien is just is a child and learning how to <laughs> learning how to be an adult. Like it's one thing for a 10-year-old to like learn the intricacies of of of, com of like what is it what does a joke mean and what is a bad joke and um but thinking bad jokes are the funniest thing in the world or think the, the cheapest magic trick is like the most you're the most incredible right. warlock in the world because you you know just experiencing this stuff for the first time is so funny and a 10 year old swearing at another 10 year old calling him a dink or an asshole or something isn't that funny but a 40 year old man calling a 10 year old a bank <laughs> or an asshole is hysterical. And we somehow get away with it because inside he's only like an eight or 10 year old. So a lot of it, and Alan plays all that so incredibly well. We found that is like, to me, the sweet spot of this character that the sort of that the childishness, because there's so much comedy that comes from it, but there's also so much hope that comes from it. He's learning oh empathy for the first time. We're writing Doogie Hauser. <laughs> oh God, we've Doogie just Hauser. done Doogie Hauser. <laughs> don't tell anyone uh, we gotta cut the zoom cut that out you can't keep that in taking oh, the script no. and changing the you name can't keep that in. and on top of all that immaturity and childishness he's like a genius you know what i mean like he's right. smarter than uh Dude. the average human and a panda you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, the smartest guy in the room being the most ignorant person in the room is funny absolutely yeah. Yeah. right it is, a, you know, Corey was bringing up there the voiceover narration and, and Alan, I was interested in how that really helps in creating a lot of the emotional subtext for Harry because what's so fascinating is the complexity of the emotional landscape of this character where he's starting to have feelings, he doesn't understand them a lot of the time, but they're still there and they're incredibly prevalent. And the way that he experiences a lot of emotions in a very different way, you know, his language of care and love is very different. It's like, oh, I don't want you to die thus I must try to save some of the other human races like his I love you I don't want to right. Um, right, and yeah. what are some of the challenges in in shaping the the emotional landscape of this character and how does that having the voiceover narration is that internal dialogue help with some of that as well well the voiceover is great uh like Corey was saying it can set up a lot you know it, it explains a lot of what's happening you know there's it's, there's a lot of humor in it to where you know, he can say, I'm controlling my emotions so much more now. And then the next thing is him not <laughs> doing that at all. Uh, so that's, it can be a, a lot of fun. Um, and, but it can also, you know, it allows, 
<laughs> it allows for some of the nuance because you hear what's going on in his head. And so uh, you hear his concerns and his fears and his, his thoughtfulness as he's in the world. And then it can also still be funny right after that. So it's, it's helpful. It's an interesting thing. We record them all, all the voiceovers, and then we play them on set. So we have them there. They're so, yeah. So they're in the room with us. I think it's a challenge for the other actors. It has to be. I remember this season, Corey, when we were working on the one, we were in that tent in that, uh, <laughs> and it was the first time we had gotten a chance to just work together in the, with a, voiceover and you're like so doc is, is that something i should be concerned about and then i sort of glaze over and look off in the distance in the middle distance <laughs> and, this, and i'm like i can't tell him the truth if he certainly he'll find out that uh i'm an alien his memory is coming back and you're still there and character like doc because <laughs> <Doc? laughs> That's the natural pacing of the scene would be, why aren't you answering me? Why are you just off over here? And it, it, it was the first, first taste for you what Sarah does all the time. Constantly. <laughs> Has to vamp and fill all of the But so, you know, we've set up Harry as such a, a, a different kind of person that I think the characters within the show have just come to accept in some ways that yeah. he's a little different. He's a little yeah. off. So it, it, it's, it's awkward, but at the same time, it's kind of hairy. I also love, I can't remember. It was in, it was in season one. There was one voiceover. I think it was after he had gotten drunk and he was thinking about going to murder Max and he was in his voiceover. He was talking about how good it felt to be the smartest person. And then a, a horn honk. Oh, God, that's my like, favorite. Get out of the street. Of the <laughs> yeah. And, you, yeah. and you heard oh, even within the voiceover, he's like, oh, who? Yeah. <laughs> like he got jumped and startled in the voiceover, <laughs> which I thought was super freaking funny. It's to me that this is very much like an evolved 20s black and white noir film. And we just need to oh. see Harry kind of turn to the camera sometimes and go, she told me I should apologize. I didn't like hey. it. You know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I'm just now realizing that's what the voiceovers do. There was one scene when Leah Thompson was directing where I, we had to stop and like ask Chris, does Asta hear this? Because she starts hearing what the octopus is saying. And then it oh, occurred right. to us that oh, now that right. she hears the octopus, would she also hear the conversation happening? So we had to find a way. I think we agreed in that moment. No, she still can't right. hear Harry's thoughts. Thank God. But like, <laughs> but I, I, I do remember us having to figure that out. And it's, it is so interesting because as the audience, you get so much of a perspective of, of Harry trying to learn how to deal with emotional intelligence versus um, just analytical intelligence. Um, so it, it's key. Yeah. It's also great to be the people in the, like one of the perspectives I had on being a person who's quote unquote normal dealing with a Harry, you know, someone who acts in this really atypical way. Like, um, you know, our show does, does talk about diversity and like, what's more diverse than, uh, somebody who's from another planet who is, you know, um, we all have to figure out how to treat this person based on our own prejudices about like, you know, is, does he have mental illness? You know, is he, um, is he in somewhere on the spectrum of neurodiversity? And like, 
so the, <laughs> I like the idea that some of the people in this show are just like, oh, he's autistic. Like he's a genius doctor. Like people all have their own ideas of what this means when someone's acting weirdly. Like my mom will just trail off. So my whole life has been dealing with a person who's like, okay, but I just want you to. <laughs> and if you interrupt her, she, she goes, I'm thinking. So, you know, I just am like, you know, like that's how I treat a person who does that in my real life. <laughs> I love that you've inadvertently made both uh, an old film noir and Doogie Hauser into Resident Alien. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> we bring we bring a lot of. Yeah, we do it all. We're a, really? we're a library. <laughs> I appreciate all of you taking the time to talk about the show and this, you know, unexpected fart joke commentary as well. And thank you so much. <laughs> Pleasure. Thank Brilliant. you, Mara. Thank, thank you very, very much, much for having us. Thanks a lot, Mara. Thank you for having us.